Eureka by John Thomas, Volume 1 Chapter 2, Section 3, Part 3 My Name After reminding the angel star of the Ecclesia in Pergamos that they dwelt where the throne of the Satan then was, the spirit tells them that one of their works he had observed was that they held fast his name. This was a great thing in the midst of paganism and the semi-heathenism of the apostasy, with all its sanctimonious pretensions on every side. In regard to this name, we have already offered some remarks on page 98, to which the reader is referred. In addition to what is there written, it may be stated that the Spirit saith in Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am Yahweh, this is my name. The Spirit then, declaring this to be his name, when he says that the saints in Pergamos held fast to it, the testimony is tantamount to saying, Thou holdest fast my name Yahweh. In our remarks on Jesus, referred to above, we have spoken of the etymology of this name. We repeat that it signifies, He shall be, and in the form, Ani Yahweh, signifies, I, the Spirit, am he who shall be. The individual who was to be, he who was promised to Eve in Genesis 3 verse 15, to Abraham in Genesis 15 verse 4 and 21 verse 12, to Judah in Genesis 49 verse 10, to David in 2 Samuel 7 verses 12 to 14, Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7, was the personage indicated by Yahweh he shall be, styled in Hebrew, the Messiah, in Greek, the Christ, and in English, the Anointed. Now, the Spirit said by the prophets, I shall be he. And here, in the Apocalypse, we find the Spirit and Jesus speaking as one. Now, the seed of Abraham, genealogically considered, must partake of Abraham's nature, must partake of flesh and blood. The Spirit, therefore, in effect said, I shall become flesh and blood. But how could this be? The answer to this is, that the fact depends not upon our ability to explain the mode in which Spirit may be elaborated into flesh and blood. The Bible testifies that all things are out of deity, who is spirit. The eternal power formed Adam out of dust. Spirit is the basis of all created things, and according to the will of their creator, becomes rock, dust, sea, vegetable, and animal, in all their diversity of form and beauty. All the resurrected who shall be approved will become spirit, for that which has been begotten of the spirit is spirit, begotten subsequently to their post-resurrectional appearance at Christ's tribunal. 
If, then, flesh and blood thus become spirit, and some flesh and blood will become spirit without tasting of death, Paul says, why may not spirit become flesh and blood? It is but a reversal of results from a change of process. The name, then, in connection with the testimony of the prophets, indicates a conversion of spirit into flesh and blood, developed by the formative power of the eternal, independently of and apart from the will of man. In the case of the first Adam, spirit, as it were leaven, mingled formatively with dust, and a flesh and blood man was developed, styled Son of God. But in the case of the second Adam, spirit acted upon the nervous system of Mary, as it had previously done upon Sarah and Hannah, but to a further degree, for in these it had only imparted strength for conception according to nature, in that it operated germinatively upon the contents of Mary's ovarium, and caused an ovum, or seed of the woman, to be deposited in her womb. Here, as the spirit germ of the second man, it remained the usual set time, subject to the laws of the animal economy. At the appointed time, it was born the babe of Bethlehem, and duly named Jesus, or He shall be who shall save, both Son of God and Son of Man, which the first Adam was not. Adam was Son of God and Son of the Dust. Jesus was Son of God and Son of Man, being a creation of the eternal power from the substance of David's daughter. Such was the babe Jesus in preparation for the sacrificial man. His germination was irrespective of the lust of the flesh. The propensity excited in the first Adam by his guilty companion, and of which Cain was the fruit. In this particular, the generation of Jesus was different from that of all other men. If Joseph had been his father, he would have been born of blood, of the will of the flesh, and of man, instead of the spirit. He would have been son of man only, and not son of God, and consequently would not have answered to the testimony of the name. The Yahweh name, then, presents itself to us in prophecy and in history. To Israel it is incommunicable so long as they reject Jesus, for he is the historical and practical personal illustration of it. The Yahweh name in prophecy comprehends the things concerning the Christ in his birth, life, sufferings, resurrection and glory. To understand the Yahweh name, as exhibited in the writings of the prophets, is to know the joyful sound, to believe the gospel of the deity which he had promised before by the prophets in the Holy Scriptures.
concerning his Son, the Christ, made of the seed of David according to flesh, and constituted Son of Deity, in power according to Spirit of Holiness. Romans 1, verses 1 to 4. And to understand the same name historically and doctrinally expounded, as it is in the New Testament, is to understand the things concerning the kingdom of the deity and the name of Jesus anointed of the Spirit. Acts 8 verse 12 In the teaching of Jesus, the name, the gospel and the kingdom of the deity are interchangeably used. Thus in Matthew 19 verse 29 he says that everyone who forsaketh anything for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit aeon life. In Mark 10 verse 29 he says that there is no man that hath left anything for my sake and the gospels but he shall receive an hundredfold in this time with persecutions and in the coming Aeon life, Aeonian. And in Luke 18, verse 29, he says, There is no man that hath left anything for the kingdom of the deity's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this time and in the aeon to come, life Aeonian. Hence, to hold fast the Spirit's name, and not to deny his faith, is to be rooted and grounded in the faith, and not to be moved away from the hope of the gospel, as in the case of the Pergameans. They were suffering tribulation for the kingdom and glory of the deity, to which they had been invited by the gospel of the name they had obeyed. They held it fast as their hope, and as Pliny testifies, no power or terror could compel them to abandon the position they had assumed in regard to it. Not so, however, the Satan. They did not hold fast the name, and did deny the faith. As we have seen in treating of the Nicolaitans, they denied that Christ had come in flesh. The consequence was that they logically rendered the Yahweh name ineffectual to the remission of sin. For if Christ did not come in the flesh and blood nature common to all mankind, the condemnation of sin in the flesh which had sinned, as represented in the lambs slain from the foundation of the world, could not have occurred when he was crucified. And moreover, if his body had not been identical with ours, he could not have borne the sins of his brethren, the saints, to the cross. The denial of his true and proper humanity made him logically unfit for a sacrificial man, by whose stripes obedient believers should be healed. The sin-covering efficacy of the Yahweh name depended upon the person bearing it being
being a flesh and blood Messiah. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The Spirit plainly testifies this in the prophets and apostles. In Leviticus 17 verse 11, he saith, I have given the blood to you upon the altar for a covering upon your souls. For the blood itself shall cover the soul. The reason given for blood being thus used is because the soul of the flesh is in the very blood. The soul, nephesh, or life, is in the blood. The blood contains or covers it, as it were. And as it is a question of life or death, life forfeited for sin, the wages of which is death, that is appointed to cover sin, which covers life, namely the blood. In this sense, the life or soul of all flesh is the blood thereof, because the vitality of all animals is in the blood. Hence, a bloodless man could not, upon the principles of the divine law, be a covering for sin. He must have real blood in his veins, containing life, as in redeeming flesh and blood nature from death, he had to give the same sort of life for the life to be redeemed. Now the blood of Jesus was more precious than the lifeblood of any other man. If it had not been so, it would have been inadequate to the purchase of life for the world. The Spirit testifies in David that there is no man rich enough to redeem his brother, nor to give God a ransom for his soul that it should live forever and not see corruption. For, he says, the redemption of their soul will be costly, and it ceaseth to the olam. Psalm 49, verses 6 to 9. If the wealthiest be impotent for the redemption of one soul, how precious must the blood of the Yahweh name be, seeing that it can ransom a great multitude which no man can number? Revelation 7, verse 9. The blood of Jesus was the only blood of all the generations of Adam that had not been generated by the lust of the flesh and which had not energized a man to the commission of sin. Jesus was an unblemished man without spot or wrinkle or any such thing for he was holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. This precious blood of sprinkling, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel, the sanctifying blood of the covenant shed for the remission of the sins of many. Hebrews 12 verse 24 and 10 verses 29 and 22 and Matthew 26 verse 28 is the principle which makes the Yahweh name sin-cleansing or a covering for the hiding of sin, so that the believer upon whom the name is invoked may have 
no more conscience of sins, or, as Peter expresses it, may have the answer of a good conscience toward God. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. The purifying or sanctifying property of the Yahweh name, being connected with bloodshedding, as prefigured in the law, necessitates the death of him who becomes the medium of its manifestation. The prophetic testimony is direct upon this point. Thou, O serpent, said the spirit, shalt bruise the heel of the woman's seed. Genesis 3.15 And this seed was to come out of Abraham's son, as it is written, In Isaac's seed shall be chosen for thee, and to show that he was to be a sacrificial man. The Elohim told him to offer him for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of the land of Moriah, which should be shown. In obedience to this command, Abraham travelled with Isaac a journey of three days, until they arrived at the mountain where the temple afterwards stood. He laid upon Isaac the wood upon which he was to be bound, and led him as a lamb to the slaughter. Having erected an altar, he laid him thereon upon the wood, and took the knife to slay him. This he would have done, but for the interference of heaven. God ordered him to spare Isaac, and to finish the offering by slaying a ram in his place. The release of Isaac was a resurrection to life, a type of the future literal resurrection of the seed to descend from him. Genesis 21 verse 12 and 22 verses 6, 9 and 13. This was the death and resurrection of the Yahweh name-bearer, represented to Abraham dramatically. It taught him that the seed to be chosen for him who was to possess the gate of his enemies, and in whom all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, should suffer a violent death, and then rise again to fulfil his destiny. Abraham saw this, and therefore named the place of the offering Yahweh Yirah. He who shall be will provide. In the mount Yahweh shall be seen. Verse 14. The prophets are full of testimony, illustrative of this remarkable representation. The songs of Zion treat largely of the sufferings of the Spirit's name. The Spirit in David says, They pierced my hands and my feet. Psalm 22 verse 16. And... He shall be filled with iron and the shaft of a spear. Second Samuel 23 verse 7 And in Daniel 9 verse 26 Messiah shall be cut off. And in Isaiah 53 Speaking of the deity's righteous servant The Spirit saith Yahweh has caused to lay upon him The iniquity of us all. For the transgression of my people Was he stricken when thou shalt make a trespass offering of his nephesh soul. 
or life. He shall see a seed. Through his knowledge shall my righteous servant make a justification for many, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will apportion to him among the great and the mighty. He shall divide the spoil, because that he hath poured out his nephesh, or soul, contained in the blood, unto death. Such was to be the name of the Christ, in fact and doctrine, a personage, the descendant and antitype of Isaac, in his sacrifice and resurrection, who should be the sin-bearer and justifier of his people, through their belief of the things or knowledge concerning him. When Jesus appeared and was crucified and rose again, the Yahweh name was no longer absolutely a testimony to be fulfilled. It became a living reality, the truth incarnate, and the name of Christ became the name of Jesus Christ, and all that is predicted of the Spirit's name is to be fulfilled in Jesus and his brethren.